Welcome to The Snap with Alexis Perry and Sydney Jones. Hello, Broncos country, and welcome back for another edition of The Snap. I'm Alexis Perry alongside my co-host, Sydney Jones, and we are thrilled today to be joined by longtime ESPN sideline reporter Lisa Salters as the Broncos make their 29th consecutive season appearance on Monday Night Football in just a few days. Lisa, thank you for being here with us today. Obviously, everyone in Denver is really anxious for the 2020 season to get underway. But I want to know, what excites you the most about this Broncos-Titans matchup? Well, because it's week one for us on the schedule. You know, I always love coming to Denver. it's, It's a great city. I don't know how much I'll be able to go out in the city because of the way things are right now. But, um, you know, there's just so many great storylines about this. Um, You know, Drew Locke, his evolution, what, you know, how how is he going to jump this year? Uh, You know, what's going to be, what's he going to look like? Um, You know, having the keys to the car really for the first time. We were all looking forward to Bradley Chubb and, and Von Miller, of course, being on the field, seeing, uh, what they were going to do together, um, and now it looks like that's not going to happen. So that's disappointing. Um, but uh, many, many things uh, that we were looking forward to about the matchup on the Titans side as well. You know, Ryan Tannehill has a lot to prove this season. Jarrell Casey <laughs> playing playing against his former team. That was that was going that's going to be exciting as well. So, you know, the, uh, for me, football isn't about the X's and O's and the wins and the losses. That's for the players and the coaches. For me, it's about the storylines. It always has been, and that's, uh, that's kind of what I focus on on the sidelines. What's one of the biggest storylines that you're going to be covering this week? Well, I think because it's week one, we have to kind of like, um, I think we need to start from the obvious, uh, the changes. No fans in the stands. Um, so for me, the biggest storylines will be away from the game. It's going to be more about no fans in the stands, uh, how – teams have been affected by the pandemic, how uh, teams have been affected by and inspired by uh, the social justice movement, uh, what players have on their minds, what messages they want to get across, how they want to use their platforms. Um, those are going to be the biggest stories for me uh, away from the game. Now, when we start talking about football, uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing these two quarterbacks for the first time Uh, since we last saw them last year. Neither quarterback was the starter this time last season, right? So, uh, you know, where are they in their development uh, now that they are the, you know, they are the ones driving their respective machines and how much confidence they have, how much they've grown uh, in the offseason that really wasn't an offseason. So I I think I'm going to be looking at mostly the quarterbacks, Drew Locke, Ryan Tannehill, to see where both of those guys are right now. What is the national perspective of Drew Locke heading into this 2020 season right now? I think uh, a lot of people don't know who Drew Locke is uh, because he really kind of took over in the, at the latter, in the latter half of, of last season when the Broncos really were kind of already out of it. And so there wasn't a lot of national uh, exposure to him. Um, so though he went four and one, right? Is that right? He went four and one in those last five games. You guys saw it, but the rest of the nation probably did it. Um, so everyone got to see what Ryan Tannehill did, how he shocked the Patriots, how he shocked the Ravens, uh, how he had uh, his Titans up 10 on the uh, World Championship Chiefs. Um, but no one really knows a lot uh, outside of the Denver bubble, outside of people who 
who cover the NFL for a living, no one really knows Drew Locke. And so I think that that's going to be exciting to introduce the world uh, to him. He's the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And, um, you know, I, I remember when we met with him last preseason, uh, us being impressed by him, but also hearing that, you know, he's not ready yet. He said he wasn't ready yet. Coaches said he's not ready yet, but he didn't have to be ready. Now he has to be ready. And uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see where he is and if he is, in fact, ready. Whether Drew Locke is ready or not, we'll see Monday night. But he does have a ton of weapons at his disposal this season, you know, from veterans like Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, to rookies like Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler. This Broncos receiver room is loaded, Lisa. What is your perspective on some of Locke's weapons this season? Well, I think he's loaded. Um, I'm just talking on our production meeting call uh, this after this morning, uh, everybody is so excited about Judy, and they're like, "You've got, we've got to talk to this guy." And so that made me want, think, like, "All right, I got to start like really like deep diving into this guy." And when I started looking into it and seeing that Emmanuel Sanders had reached out to him, and that people were so impressed with his footwork, um, I haven't talked to him yet, uh, but he's one of the guys that I'm looking forward to talking to in the next couple of days, um, just to you know, to find out so much is expected of him um, as a rookie. And he's expected to come in and do great things. And, um, you know, as a, as a young, I, you remember how you are when you, well, you are, you guys are young, but like, I know how I felt when I was young and entering into the business. And when people gave you a big assignment, you, you, you really wanted to step up and, and, and rise up to that challenge. So, um, also, Philip Lindsay. I'm looking forward to seeing how Philip Lindsay handled. And I've always loved talking to him. He's just so real, undrafted. He had that great rookie Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl season. Um, just looking to see how he how he handles having Melvin Gordon, another great back, with him. How that's going to work. Um, both guys have said all the right things, but how is that going to work? Uh, that's only going to be beneficial for the Broncos uh, to have such great talent in the backfield. But, you know, is, you know, are they going to be able to, to divide the rock that, that much? Philip Lindsay's a great back. So is Melvin Gordon. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see play out as well. If they are able to find that balance between Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, what kind of challenges do you think this Broncos, you know, backfield poses for opposing defenses? Oh, it'll be it'll be crazy because Philip Lindsay has already proven himself to be one of the best in the league. And, and Melvin Gordon, I mean, he's just, he's just another great talent. So regardless of who gets the number one designation and who's number two, and that might even change from week to week. Uh, whenever you line up, you know that you have somebody who can break one in the backfield and that for an opposing defense, um, that's just so difficult to know that the guy in the backfield could, you know, could wreck the game, could wreck the game for you guys. You could do everything well, and that guy could wiggle right through and just and wreck, wreck the game. Um, and like I said, they're both such great guys. They're guys that you pull for. So um, that's going to be interesting for me just to, to be out there to watch both of those guys. And I, and I hope that they really have connected the way that uh, we've heard that they have bonded. Um, you know, sometimes when someone comes in, there can be a little bit of, you know, a little bit of drama, a little bit of beef, uh, but it doesn't sound like that's the case at all in Denver, and that's great. And when that happens, uh, only great things happen. 
Now, Lisa, you touched on it a little bit, but on the other side of the ball, obviously we all heard the news about Vaughn Miller. Reports have said he could potentially be out for the season. Ultimately, how do you think that's going to affect this defense as a whole this year? Well, you know, I was listening to Lewis Riddick talk about it, and, you know, Lewis said what I think everyone knows is that it, it's a devastating loss for the Broncos' defense. But he also said these are professionals, and these are guys who – you know, you hear the next man up mentality all the time. I think Lewis was asked in a, in a call I had earlier, what is, you know, what does Vic say, what does Vic Major say to his team? And he says, I think he tells them that we have depth for a reason. This is why we have so many players so that if something does happen to one of our starters, the next guy comes in and takes over. I think it's going to add a lot more pressure on, and on Bradley Chubb to get himself ready to play. I don't know if he is ready uh, at full strength right now, but the pressure is on him now to pick up the slack the way that Vaughn did when Bradley was out last season. Um, so I was just crushed to get that to get that text yesterday because because Vaughn is such a. I mean, he he to me he just kind of transcends the team and the game. He's just one of those ambassadors of this of sport. He's one of those ambassadors of sport. And I was just interested uh, in talking to him about, you know, what's going on in our country at this time with the social justice movement. I wanted to talk to him about, you know, battling COVID, what that was like. Um, so um, it, it, it is a loss. And I feel, I feel, although I feel badly for Denver, for you guys as a team, I feel worse for Vaughn as an individual, because I know that he was looking forward to the season and uh, as great as his career is already, he already has a hall of fame career. I know that he had spent a lot of time in the off season kind of studying other greats uh, like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And he was looking forward to bringing that out into the field this season. And now he might not get to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, I wish him all the best and uh, you know, uh, I know that he's a champion. He'll, he'll, he'll be back. Um, but uh, it, it was definitely a tough loss for you guys as a team and tough for the sports world to, to hear as well that he might not be able to play this season. Yeah, Vaughn, he really had a new focus heading into the season. I know it was gut-wrenching for all of us here in Denver when we got that news. But Lisa, you touched on it a little bit, the implications of COVID this year with the NFL. What are some other potential implications of the abbreviated training camp preseason that you think we're going to see on Monday? Um, I think we'll probably see a, some sloppy football at first um, because uh, teams have not been able to – they haven't been able to train the way that they've always been able to train. You'll probably see some poor tackling. We saw that a little bit in college, college football this weekend. Um, I think younger teams – um, like Denver, um, they're going to feel it more because they haven't had uh, the time spent together like, say, you know, Bill Belichick's team. And Bill's been around for forever. Um, you know, teams that – but, you know, these, these are challenges. Like, people are asking me, how can you do the sidelines without being on sidelines? These are just challenges that we have to overcome. Um, and we just have to be grateful to go out there. I'm sure your guys are, they're grateful to be out there playing football, being able to play when four months ago, we didn't know if there was going to be NFL football. So um, there are going to be challenges for, for the team because of, for every team, because of just the lack of time spent together um, in close quarters. I don't know how much time 
entire teams have been able to spend together. Um, Drew Locke was saying just eating, you know, not everyone's able to be in the cafeteria at the same time or in the locker room at the same time or in the weight room at the same time or in the training room at the same time. So, you know, those are opportunities that young guys, especially they're able to kind of powwow in, in the hallway at the facility and just say, what, you know, what are you thinking about this? What do you think about that? Well, that, that changed this in 2020 because of COVID. And so I think we'll see that play itself out on the field. But uh, the one thing that we know is that everyone had to deal with that. Um, so the teams who've been together longer, maybe don't, didn't need it as much. Uh, the younger teams probably needed a little bit more and we might see a little bit about, we might see that play out a little bit, but I think everyone is just excited that football is back. Well, before we let you go, one of our biggest goals with this podcast is to shed some light on the amazing careers of women covering the National Football League. You're the longest tenured sideline reporter in the history of Monday Night Football. And in just a few days, you will begin your ninth season in that coveted role. How did you get your start in broadcasting and what has your path looked like since then? Well, I did not know that about uh, Monday Night Football until they said it today on a call. Um, I did not know that I was the longest tenured sideline reporter um, for the franchise. Um, it's humbling, certainly. Uh, this was nothing that I set out to do. My, my career started in news. Um, so I did 12 years of news before I even transitioned to, to ESPN to do sports. Uh, so, you know, this was nothing that I set out to do. Um, there were opportunities that just kind of uh, presented themselves and um, I took advantage of and uh, I'm glad I did um, it's it's um, it's been fun it's been humbling um, and it, it's never lost on me whenever you know a little girl or a parent of a, a kid a mother or father comes up to me and says you know my child wants to do what you're doing or you know a little girl says to me I want to do what you do and uh, just uh, the importance of, you know, little girls who look like me seeing me and thinking and knowing that they can, they can do whatever they want. And if they want to be in sports, they can be. So um, it's been a great ride. Um, so the first eight years have been great. This is your number nine. Hopefully there'll be nine plus coming after that. Now, Lisa, your career spans over three decades. Were there any challenges you faced along the way that maybe others could learn from? I have not had the challenges that I've heard other women say that they've had. Um, maybe I have been discriminated against because I was a woman, but I never knew it. Uh, if that were the case, um, the guys that I had been uh, privileged to uh, report about and to whose games I cover have been great since day one, since the very first day I started doing sports back in 2000. Um, and since the day I started doing Monday Night Football in 2012, um, not a disrespectful word has been ever been said to me. The coaches have always been great. Um, and, you know, when you come in as the new person, like we our, our guys, uh, Louis Riddick and Brian Greasy and Steve Levy, they're all new. They're all new this season. And so I'm sure they're feeling like I felt um, in 2012 where you're nervous, like, are, you know, are these guys going to accept me in the fold or whatever? Um, and I kind of felt that a little bit more being a woman in 2012. But I, I got nothing but respect um, from from the players and the coaches since the day that I uh, 
since the day I first started covering the NFL. And I, I, one of my uh, producers got me a gift last year, and it was a signed picture from Drew Brees. And um, it says, like, you know, a true professional to Lisa, a true professional from Drew. And I was like, that just meant, means so much to me to, to, to think that they think um, that much of me. And um, that's all I've ever wanted to do was to be a professional and to know that, you know, at least some of them think that I'm a professional, that uh, that means a lot to me. Doing something right. Well, you've covered a lot of games and some really amazing events, but if you could only choose one, what would you say the biggest highlight of your career has been? Oh my gosh, the highlight of my career. I can't even remember the game I did last. Um, <laughs> and that was in the bubble. Uh, that was a pretty great, great, pretty great game um, with the Blazers and the Grizzlies. But I, you know, people ask me that, like, what's your favorite team to cover? What's your favorite sport to cover? What's been your favorite assignment? I've had a lot of great assignments. Um, most of them probably weren't around big name stars. They were just stories about people who happen to be athletes that you will never know about, um, but whose stories were just so compelling. Um, uh, Dwayne Wake, I know you know Dwayne. Uh, one of the assignments that I cherished the most was Dwayne Wade wanting me to tell the story of his mother who um, when Dwayne was a child, she was addicted to heroin. And so she spent time in prison. She got out. She formed a relationship with Dwayne. She went on to become a, a preacher. Um, and so I did that story. So getting to know Dwayne, I had known him as a basketball player and had covered so many of his games, but getting to know him that way and then getting to know his mother and the rest of his family on that level. Um, and then him set telling me later, that the reason I wanted you to do the story is because I trusted you with the story. It was a difficult story, and I trusted you with it to tell it the right way, to, to be honest and tell, put it all out there, but to do it in the right way. So that's kind of what I'm most proud of um, in year 32 of my career is that, um, you know, the guys kind of trust me with their oftentimes difficult stories, that they know that I'm not going to exploit them, they know that I'm not going to sensationalize it, that I'm going to tell the truth, put it out there, be fair, um, and that I'm not looking to gain anything from it. Um, trust. It's, you know, it's all about relationships. You guys know that. It's all about the relationships you build. And um, I think that's what I'm most proud of in my career. Sounds like all great pieces of advice for people who are trying to get into the business as well. Somebody was asking me that today, like, what advice would I give? And it was just to, just to be authentic, to be yourself, to learn as much as you can from everyone, because everyone, ha everyone has a story to tell. Um, and so that's what we have to be mindful of. Everyone has a story to tell, and we have to be prepared to tell it. Now, Lisa, you've been nominated for multiple sports Emmys and ended up winning one in 2017 for your feature called Life is Matt. What was that moment like for you? I'm sure a dream come true. Uh, it was great. And, you know, I, I liked... Many other people have gotten caught up in the whole Emmy thing. Like, you know, I was the Susan Lucci of the Emmys for so long. I'd get nominated and not win, and I'd get so upset. Um, it just kind of winning one felt like it got the monkey off my back a, a little bit. But that was a story that I almost didn't do because I thought, ah. and I remember it was I was on in a car going to a playoff game in a, a Warriors playoff game, and I was in the car with Mark Jackson, Mike Green, and Jeff Van Gundy. 
And I got off the phone with my E60 bosses who said, hey, you want to do the story this summer? And I was like, eh, not really. And Jeff Van Gundy was like, what was that about? And I told him, he was like, well, who, what gives you the right to decide what st stories deserve to be told or, you know, whose story you want to tell? You should tell everybody's story. And I was like, he's right. And so I called my bosses back and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Of course, I'll do it. And, um, you know, I, I give Jeff a lot of credit because he's a friend, but he also called me on my BS and was like, you don't get to tell, you don't get the, you don't get to decide whose voice is heard. Someone has a story to tell, that's your job is to tell it. So you should tell it. And he was, he was absolutely right. And that story ended up uh, winning me my only, <laughs> my only Emmy that I've ever won. Well, speaking of a dream come true, I'm sure it has to be a dream come true this year with Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick in the booth. What are you looking forward to most as you begin this new chapter working with that triple threat of talent? Well, you know, this year is going to be so much different because uh, normally we would have met several times before now. We would have gone out to several dinners. We would be going out to dinner in Denver. Um, none of that's going to happen because we're not really allowed to hang out together. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be strange. Uh, you know, I was just telling my agent today, like Brian Greasy could ring the doorbell and be delivering my Amazon packages. And I don't really know, <laughs> you know, I was trying to, st uh, today on the Zoom call, I was just trying to study him to like what he looks like because I, I've never really spent any time with him at all. So I, you know, I know Lewis, I know Steve. Uh, Lewis has been around uh, with Countdown at the Monday Night Sites every week for the past, you know, I don't know how many years with Susie Culver. And Steve, I've known forever, but Brian, I don't really know. Um, so I was like, he could walk in here right now. And like, I'd be like, who are you? So that's going to be odd because we won't really have that natural chance to get to know each other. Like, say, with Jason Witten a couple years ago. Like, I knew Jason from football, but I didn't really know him at all. And we got to be friends because we got to go out to dinner. We got to hang out um, throughout the course of the season. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe through Zoom, we'll get to just be really, uh, really good friends because I know all those guys know each other and I know they're going to have great chemistry in the booth because they know each other, especially Steve and Brian, they've worked together before. Um, so I'm hoping that just in some way that we'll just, we'll be able to connect and to mesh because they're going to be great. And I just want to be an extension of them. Well, I know all of us at home are excited to see the four of you this Monday night at Empower Field at Mile High. Lisa, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. And good luck to the Broncos this season. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Snap. Make sure to tune back into the Broncos Podcast Network next week as we relive the best moments from the Broncos Week 1 matchup and look ahead to Week 2 up against the Pittsburgh Steelers.